to every year and the place is on him. Um, I don't think I carry that much. But uh, we will start. Sure. Do you want to start your day off like that? <clears throat> uh, good morning to you and uh, welcome. I uh, hope you enjoyed the, the week this week and um, are dressed warm enough today. Look forward to the class with you. Um, <clears throat> this is really important stuff. I was talking to some, some of the brothers yesterday and said I feel like I'm working with jet fuel um, in studying this because, you know, what we're talking about is something that the Holy Spirit has given to us to empower us to do the work of God. And uh, as we go through and, you know, decipher what things are what and what what the things mean, uh, we're still left with these things. We're still left with the fact that God has given us His Holy Spirit. When we become Christians, God has given us His Holy Spirit. You know, and and whatever that means. That's actually not the purpose of our study, but just uh, stating as a matter of fact, we have to understand that to, I think, to to have a basis to understand that the Spirit then brings gifts uh, for each one of us. And uh, what's really interesting is uh, right now, I'm, I'm, I'm really looking more closely for our future uh, reference at how these spiritual gifts uh, blend with our personalities, our, experience, our life experiences, um, and, uh, and, and how they're, they're, they play out in the work of the church that, that needs to, to happen, that we need to engage in more and more. Paul told the Thessalonians... Uh, that he was praying for them that they would abound more and more. And so the Thessalonians, and I feel like we can say this too, the Thessalonians um, had some foundational uh, you know, things that, that they needed to grow. They had love am- amongst them. They had the knowledge that they needed to be able to, to, move, um, to move forward and do the will of God um, properly. They had some of these things, and, and Paul could have said, hey, good job, you got it. But God never leaves us settled, you know. He wants us to develop, always developing. So we, we have the mindset um, that this, this congregation always will have room to develop. Interestingly, in the church, we develop in a progression in maturity by going backwards into Scripture. Like we, we dive deeper into the, the historical aspect of the Gospel. We, we dive deeper into the, the doctrinal foundations of the Apostles. We, we, we go and we dive deeper into our roots in the book of Acts, for example, and into these letters that we see these things. We dive deeper into the past so that we can move forward properly into the future. Now, there's not many organizations that, that do things that way, but we are one uh, because uh, 
God has sent His only Son, Jesus Christ, and He spoke through Him, Hebrews 1, 1-3 says, He spoke through Him to give us all things that we need, as Peter put it, for life and godliness. So we, we go back to the book. So we dig and we mine uh, and we, we find things that maybe our parents did not share with us around a dinner table or maybe we had never heard a sermon on or been in a Bible class and studying and we, we, we look for those things so, so we can add to what we know. We can grow in our knowledge and we can apply those things maybe that you personally have never been engaged in. Certain ministries or certain activities. We apply those things so that each one of us individually develops. And then what happens when individuals are maturing in their knowledge and in their practice in the faith? Well, the church grows, right? The church matures. Uh, that's, that's really what we're seeking but it's with a purpose. Let's not forget the purpose. The purpose is so that we can make disciples of all men. So that we ourselves within the body are being recreated in the image of Christ. The day that you became a Christian, uh, you became one with Jesus, but you didn't look just like Jesus. And you could argue, right, that we still don't look like Jesus. But we've made progress. You know, there are certain thoughts that we've aligned with the way Jesus thinks. Uh, there are certain actions, you know, habits, uh, behaviors, practices that we now do that we didn't do that are aligned with God's will for us, right? So you've, you've made progress. And we're seeking to continue to do that for the growth and edification, as Paul put it, in Ephesians 4 and other places, um, so that we can be built up more and more abounding more and more in love. So this thing's a cycle. The more love we pour into our relationship with God, who has already poured into us, the more we, the more we um, offer ourselves living sacrifices and the more we seek Him in a love relationship, the more we're going to have to give. So we're going to be built up in that and then we're going to be able to spill over. And as we spill over, there's more to use to build up. And then when we do that, we have more to give. And so this, you know, we're creating um, uh, a building, if you will, but, but it's not really like brick and mortar. It's living. We're living stones. So it's an organism that is, that is growing and replicating, which is the other part of making disciples. So not, this isn't just for us to, to kind of come here, for example, or you know, be in Bible classes where we learn something. Like, okay, I'm going to take it home and do that. It's also for us to share with those who don't know Jesus so that they can become Christ followers, right? So this disciple making is just a, it's a lifelong process we're engaged in. And um, it, is, it is the thing that is closest to God's heart. People are closest to God. Uh, people are his number one priority. So, so for him to be able to call men to repentance... He is using us to carry this message and to demonstrate it, and to demonstrate it. Remember Jesus in um, Luke, uh, I think it was chapter 8, verse 1, came preaching and bringing the gospel. 
It's two different words. So he wasn't just talking about it. He was actually demonstrating the gospel through his life. And he says, imitate me, right? So we preach and we bring. We make disciples. And our mission is to make disciples of all men. So we should be actively engaged in that. We're only going to be as effective in reaching outward as we are strong on the inside, in the body. And you can't skip that to get to the second one. Hey, you know, we just need to reach out. Let's just start an evangelistic campaign, and we're not really ready to either properly demonstrate or to preach or teach it or to receive, which is often, I think, what, what probably the most challenging part is. Like, So if people are interested and they come, they come into the body, are we ready to receive those people, to, um, uh, to bring them in and, and disciple them in a relationship with Jesus where there are people around them who are, who are walking with them. So, so we want to get ready for these types of things. Um, and this subject of spiritual gifts is what God gives Christians to enable them to carry this thing out. You know, heaven forbid I try to do it by my own brains, and my own goodness. Whoa, you know. So what I need to do is allow God's Spirit, whom He has promised to me, to lead me through the teaching of Scripture, through the gifting that I need to be discovering and developing, and then engaging in ministries which develop Christians or make disciples and reach out and bring other disciples in. That's the context within which we're studying this subject. And uh, it makes it awfully interesting to me uh, to look at these things in this light, you know, to, to cast the, the, the missional <clears throat> goal and then to say, okay, now let's talk about what the spiritual gifts are for. Um, it, it, it certainly brings them to the surface and, and to light. So um, let me find the clicker. And uh, I'm going to move through a few things to get to um, maybe where we left off last week. Last week was remarkable. Um, I spoke the whole time, the bell rang and whatever. So uh, this week I want to just, come on, sync up. I want to uh, put these things before you that, uh, that we've talked about. I think this is where Paul distinguishes some things for us so that when we read about gifts and some of these other passages like first, uh, Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, we can understand them a little bit more. And here he makes a distinction between gifts, ministries, and activities. Gifts, ministries, and activities. All right, so we're talking about spiritual gifts, but we're talking about it, remember, in the context of this class a, a life of ministry, that's what we're looking at, a life of ministry. So we're called into ministry because God created us to walk in good works. So we need to be engaged in ministry ourselves uh, to be glorifying to God. Let's do the good works that He wants us to do. We need to be engaged in ministries so we can carry out the work that needs done to reach others who are outside of Christ as well. So... The gifts enable members to do ministries 
and the, um, the activities within those ministries are the various roles that we're performing in that work, okay? What this also does is help us to approach um, passages where gifts are talked about, where I've seen a, a lot of um, students come to this and they line up Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, there's gifts listed here, there's gifts listed here, and then over in Ephesians 4, here's this discussion again about he gave some to be apostles and prophets and, and, and evangelists and pastor teachers, and they, they put these three things as lists of gifts, if you will, and then try to cram them together, and it, it doesn't work that way. Um, rather, what we set forth last week, what I put forth before uh, the church last week, was that the base gift areas, if you will, I'll call them areas, they're, they're actually gifts, like leading is a gift, but it's, you, can, you can lead in various ministries. So there's areas in which you would use that gift, for example. There's areas in which you would teach. You might teach youth, you might teach adult people, you might be a personal evangelist and be out teaching your neighbors the gospel, et cetera, et cetera. Okay? Uh, Prophetia, we're going to get in and look at some of these. There's, there's manifestations of that uh, that are different. But they, they, all, they all channel through these seven. They channel through those seven. A shepherd here, for example, which is a description, among other descriptions, of the same office. There's bishops, elders, presbyters, shepherds, right? Used to describe the same office. That's a good example of describing what actually is the various roles or functions that those men do, but it doesn't describe the giftedness. The giftedness is that the men, for example, that we've appointed as shepherds here, or elders, whatever you want to call them, um, have a mix of those gifts uh, that they're utilizing and developing that we've recognized, and we've asked them to stand before us and lead to bishop us or to rule over or to oversee us, which is another term, right? To oversee uh, the ministries, essentially, and the people in the ministries. I, sh I should say it this way, to oversee the people and their souls as sheep, but also to see that their health comes by engaging in the good works of God, all right? So this I have set forth as the, as the funnel, if you will. Uh, when you read about in the in the Ephesians, for example, these things, these aren't the gifts here. These are the ministers of gifts. And they're ministering in a similar way here, those four categories, in that they're all equipping the saints for ministry by using giftedness that they've received here and developed. They're using those things. And so anything you read in the scriptures uh, about ministries or ministers of those things are people who are utilizing at least one, usually always more than one, of those in the yellow on the left side in Romans 12. Do you remember how we came to that? What was the unique thing that the Roman church had? Uh, or what, what made the Roman church unique from the Corinthian church? 
that we can read about in chapter one of both letters. What was the difference between those two churches? Do you remember that from last week? It's very vital to understanding this this way. Do you remember what that was? Say a little louder, Mark. One more, one more time. In the word. Uh, how do you mean it? Yes. Uh, well, you're right. They, they both were. But what made the Roman church distinct from the Corinthian church in relation to the gifts? And in, in the first two columns, there are the Romans, the letter to the Romans and the letter to the Corinthians. Do you remember what made them distinct? Yeah, in what way was the Roman church not established in the way that Paul said? To do what? Yeah, to impart, right? To give a, to give a, uh, an impartation of spiritual gifts that he was in the ministry of giving. Part of his, as he describes it, grace gift, part of Paul's giftedness, which he had the mix over here, he was using all those in his apostleship, which is the ministry. He was using all these things, uh, and he wanted to come to the Roman church to lay his hands upon them, as the apostles did, and impart to them gifts that only the apostles could give. Only the apostles, unless God himself directly, as in Acts chapter 11 with Cornelius and his household, the Holy Spirit fell upon them and they began to speak in tongues. That was to make a point to the Jews who were standing there going, oh, okay, I guess God does want them to receive the Holy Spirit just like us. Once they got that, the Holy Spirit didn't continually work like that. He worked through the, the apostles to say, yes, they're accepted. Now I want you, especially you, Paul, to be an apostle of mine, to go into all the world. And when you do that, uh, lay hands on these Christians that they might receive gifts. Do you think that any of the churches, like for example at Corinth, do you think any of them um, had a membership where every single person received a spiritual uh, impartation, uh, excuse me, a miraculous impartation from Paul? Maybe if at that moment that he was there and he was laying hands on them, he, maybe he laid his hands upon everyone who was maybe of a responsible age to receive a gift. I don't know. But as soon as he left town, if they reached out and made more disciples and they came into the body, would those people have had their hands laid upon them by Paul? No, right? So you would have um, people within these congregations, uh, some of whom may have had the miraculous abilities and some of whom had not, but the Roman church did not. Why is that? Do you remember why the Romans did not yet have these uh, miraculous manifestations of the spiritual gifts? Did Paul establish that church? Uh, in, the, in the last chapter when he's uh, giving credit, if you will, going through and saying, say hello to these people, he mentions too uh, Andronicus and Junia, whom he said were in Christ before me. And likely, they and some others had come from Jerusalem, maybe on Pentecost, maybe from Pentecost when the church was scattered, or maybe later in Acts chapter 8. And some of them went to Rome and started preaching and teaching the gospel. Believers stepped forward, were baptized into Christ, 
They received the Holy Spirit, Romans chapter 8. Paul talks about them um, having received the Spirit and needing to be led by the Spirit. In chapter 12, he says, having then gifts of the Spirit, use them. Here they are. But he himself had actually not gone there yet and laid his hands upon them to impart miraculous manifestations of gifts, which were the, for the purpose really of expediting the confirmation of the word, this new thing called Christianity, for expediting it, really rooting it in the ground deeply or in cement, you might say. And also he really wanted to do that in hubs like Corinth and Rome, where, where the, the, the trade and the commerce was flowing constantly, where it's, it's a capital, right, of the empire, and people are coming in and out. And now he's like, boy, they could use tongues. They could really use the gift of tongues over. They don't have that. In chapter 15, in verse 14, take a look at this with me. In chapter 15, in verse 14, so I think this is really important to Pickering to, to, to understand this. Because we might be able to go through and say, okay, I think doctrinally I understand the difference between Rome and Corinth, but what does that have to do with me? I mean, I'm, I'm, I have that aim in mind that I want us to be able to come away with an understanding of what we have and can do. Well, in Romans 15, verse 14, Paul says, to this church that he has not been to to lay his hands upon them and give them these miraculous impartations like we read about in Acts chapter 8 that only the apostles could do. He says, now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you, are, uh, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. So does it sound to you like they're handicapped because they don't have miraculous manifestations of gifts? Um, what have they been doing until Paul writes this letter? Oh man, they've been, they've been abounding. They've been abounding in the gospel. They've been making disciples. They, they're abounding in love. Uh, you know, he doesn't have to admonish them and correct them like he does the church in Corinth who had the miraculous abilities. This is a group of people that's standing solidly on the gospel like you and I. That we've received this from teaching. We believe it. We believe that the Spirit of God is among us. And that we have mission and purpose, and that we can be healthy within ourselves. And I don't need to tell you that today in a different language, miraculously. We can come to that mutual edification, or as he put here, the, um, the mutual admonition, the mutual sharing of knowledge. Uh, they actually seem like they have a good knowledge, enough so that they are able to grow but in the writing of this letter, he continues to give them uh, revelation, as he does, to define them, to um, help them, to establish them in the sense that they're able to function as a congregation. Well, why does he long, why does he long to give them these gifts? Well, there were needs yet. There were needs. Um, revelation is still being given. Perhaps about things like um, the uh, leadership structure of the church that needs to formulate yet. Um, uh, various things that the 
apostles and writers of the, the New Testament letters are setting forth, they're still receiving in Rome. They need to receive those things. So Paul writes a letter, but Paul says, boy, I wish we could expedite your establishment is the best way I could put this to you. So I wish I could, I wish I could give you the miraculous gifts so that, so that you could be firmly established and become disciple makers, you know, who can reach people speaking different languages, etc., etc. That's what, that's what these things were for. Confirmation, well, they, they're confirmed in the sense that they believe the gospel. Revelation, they haven't received it all yet. So that's one way that they could be established more. Even though the knowledge that they have, they're, they're understanding it. Paul's writing to them, teaching them new things. And also the, um, the, the establishment in the sense that they now become strong enough to have a global effect from their church like Antioch was doing. I think he wants them to become an Antioch. All right? I mean, what better city, perhaps, than Rome itself? Uh, that's some of the things about Rome. Now, when you jump over to Corinthians, the Corinthians, and we read from chapter 1, and if we need to, let's, let's take a look at that. It's, it's really on like the next page from if you were in Romans 15. Paul addresses them very, very differently in the first few verses, um, you know, the first 10 or 11 verses. Especially in verses uh, 4 and 5, 6, he says, I thank my God always. So instead of praying to my God, thankfully about you, but that I might come to you, he says, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus. Uh, yes, the grace of God and the gift of salvation, but you see specifically here what he's referring to. He says that you were enriched in everything by him in all utterance and in all knowledge. Even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end. Seems to me that he is talking to a church here, and it's confirmed in chapter 12, that's been gifted with uh, tremendous power, especially in the areas of knowledge and utterance. I think, I think that's a reference to tongues. You've been gifted in all utterance, as Corinth was this hub. John taught well uh, Wednesday night about, first of all, about the corruption in Corinth that was there at the time, but also about the, 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 the trade route, the travel, um, uh, one of the leading cities in commerce, and how useful being able to speak in different languages was that they could catch people coming in and out of that city. Just like Pentecost was a key time, Acts chapter 2 was a, was, a, it was a beautiful time for God to have the apostles stand up and speak with various languages to all the Jews who had come in from all over the world and teach them the gospel in their own languages. And then, pow, they went out from there like an explosion. And in the synagogues where they were worshiping everywhere, they went home and started talking about these things. Uh, the Corinthians have been enabled to do that 
to be a place where people could come in and out and having been gifted in all knowledge with direct revelation from the Spirit and also in all utterance that they could act as the church in Jerusalem or the apostles did in the church in Jerusalem um, and also in Antioch, Acts 13, that they could be a church like this. So when he starts talking about gifts in chapter 12, it looks very different than Romans 12, doesn't it? I mean, this looks very different with the exception of, of a couple things. Um, now I'm talking about that first yellow list there. And what I propose to you is that these are not totally different things. These are additional miraculous abilities that were bestowed upon the church in Corinth who already had these things available to them to learn, develop, use. And he says, use them. So to the Corinthian church, he might say, use the gifts that you've been given through the impartations by the laying on of my hands to do these things. So if it's wisdom or knowledge, for example, you know, use these gifts of wisdom and knowledge. How would, that, how would those actually show forth? Could it be that they're used through the teaching ministry? Right? I mean, that's, that's how you would um, share your knowledge. Right? Could it also be through um, what is prophetia, a speaking forth with a, with a persuasion, with uh, an aim to call people to repentance, which is, is the difference. It's basically teaching and preaching in its various forms. Prophetia is, is preaching in various forms, okay? which is different than teaching. We'll talk about this in a little bit, or next week. But all prophecy involves teaching. It involves taking those things which you have learned and researched and dug up or received directly from the Holy Spirit of God to those who were prophets in the New Testament for that purpose. It involves taking those things and speaking them forth. You may or may not have the, the miraculous ability to do that with tongue speaking or um, speaking uh, from direct revelation from God or from confirming through the working of miracles. You may not have that ability to do that, but you're always teaching in any of those situations. So whether somebody in this church, for example, is, is talking here and just basically reasoning together, that's kind of what we're doing in class. Uh, I'm not calling you to repentance here. I'm not trying to persuade you to, to look inside yourself and, and repent of sin and confess those sins in this class. Uh, what we're doing is mining and sharing. Now, you take that and you, you use it. But when we go three steps up in that pulpit, there is an aim at your heart. That's what a sermon is. It means to stab. You know, there's a... And, and that's where you see the distinction between the teaching and the preaching. And Paul says in his ministry, for example, to, to Timothy, he said, I've been called into this ministry of apostleship as a preacher and teacher to the Gentiles. He doesn't say just as a preacher or just as a teacher. He says a preacher and teacher. And so there's a distinction there. And so what we see is when, when you see all these miraculous abilities, they still are all manifested through these basic gift areas that Paul told the church in Rome, you have. All right? 
And so I left you last week with this. I said, okay, what happens when we get to 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 13, and Paul talks about to the Corinthians, hey, um, there's going to be a time where you're going to need to be ready to mature beyond these things because where the prophecies are that is in the miraculous context, where we're receiving direct revelation from God, you're going to have to dig it out of the Scriptures like the Bereans. It's, not going, to be, it's going to fail. Like God will have completed His revelation, and you're going to need to turn to the written volume of the Word of God to mine out the nuggets that He has revealed to us. Okay, So it's going to, going to come around to completion. Um, what, what then, though? Oh, I guess if I have the gift then of prophecy or a miraculous impartation of knowledge that I've been given without having ever studied it, I just know it because God did that. To... Well, I guess I don't have any gift at all. This is where I'm saying that these pass away, these fail because of the fulfillment of their purpose and that Corinthian church would still have these. These are enduring. There's no reason to believe that those are not enduring. And we would have to force acceptance of these things by kind of digging into them and going, well, I guess there's, there's some forms of prophecy that we still, in the sense that you speak for, blah, 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 blah. But we don't have to dig that out of a context that's miraculous when it says right up here that one of those basic gifts is prophetia or teaching, for example, that those things are going to endure on. Those are gifts that the Spirit gives to people who are Christians, who haven't had their hands laid on by an apostle. That's me. Never met one. <laughs> I never met one. But God is still speaking to us saying, hey, you're empowered. Hey, get busy. Hey, use these things. I don't know where to start. Start serving. All right. Also, these are all things that are also commanded all of us. This is really important. All these things are commanded to all of us at some time or another. At some time or another, you're going to need to take a lead. It might be for a day. It might just be with a group and a certain ministry that you're just trying to carry out for one purpose. Right? It might be that, hey, all of a sudden I'm a parent. Or let's back up. I just got married, you know, and I, I need to, to lead in some way. Um, or I just had a baby, and now I'm kind of a spiritual leader of this person's soul to, 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 into the nurture and admonition of the Lord. All of us are going to be called to use some leadership skills at some time. We're, we're commanded to live our lives in such a way that others are influenced by us and can follow us. It's natural. You may not want anything to do with leadership, but if you're at work and you're being a good example and someone comes to you and says, hey, I've noticed this about you. Can you tell me about how, to be, you know, how it is that you're a Christian or um, how can I become one? You instantaneously become a leader of that person. <laughs> you can't help it. So these are all commanded. But that doesn't mean that everybody excels in those things or has the ability to excel in those things. And that's where we're going to start studying on how, how some things work together, like with your, maybe with your God-given innate um, talents 
uh, your learned experiences, which you might call um, uh, your uh, just abilities or skills, your skill set that you might have acquired through life, um, that you might bring these things together and use them in conjunction with not natural gifting, but spiritual gifting that is given not all of these to everyone, always, but that you have some up. Lawrence. The word prophetia, I, when I first set that before you and we started having a lot of questions, I, I took a step further than I should have and I put it forth as prophetes, which is the prophet, which is properly what you would call someone who's prophetying. I mean, it's just properly what you would call them, the, the prophet. But I think it misled us um, because we were thinking about prophets in terms of what we've seen in the Bible as a whole where... Many of them were, not all of them, but many of them were foretelling, like predicting things in the future. Uh, many of them had the ability to perform miracles, etc. But this word prophetia strictly means, strictly means to speak forth, and it carries with it in the context always that there is an intention to persuade or call people into um, right living with God, just in a general sense. So. It, The evangelist is a ministry that uses prophetia or uh, the gift of speaking forth, and it shows itself in various ways. So an evangelist could teach, uh, an evangelist could preach. I've got a slide a few ahead. Um, no, I think it's just, let me, I've got a couple minutes left. I think this will help us. <laughs> Let me get to the next one. And let's just let this lead us naturally into the first one today, and then next week we'll start looking at the uh, specifics. I changed some things on these. Um, well, got to go one more. Yeah. Come on. Those are the miraculous manifestations that we can talk about or not. If you need to, we will. All right. That's what the word means, to speak forth. I mean, that's it. So when we talk about prophets in the Bible, some of those were speaking forth on the mission to reveal new information to people. Others weren't necessarily doing that. They were just speaking forth. Okay? So he calls the church in Rome, for example, who had not received any miraculous impartations to receive direct information from the Holy Spirit, etc. And he said, well, I'd really like to get to you and give you that ability still speak forth. They're actually doing that. Okay? Still call sinners to repentance as a body of Christ, especially those of you who have the ability to do it and have, have that inclination, that desire, that ability, and that leaning. We would call that the gifted area. So we don't, when we become Christians, have a voice say, you are a prophetia. <laughs> we exercise service because we're all commanded and all those areas on the left, we're all commanded to do those things. We exercise our gifts, as the Hebrew letter says, 
uh, to discern good and evil, but exercise those things. And we learn our strength areas. We learn those strength areas. Uh, you can learn them yourself, but also sometimes uh, it, it, it helps to have other people say, you're really good at teaching. We, you need to be teaching. Okay? So you and I may understand this alike, but I'm not very good at articulating. I'm not very good at sharing this. You need to, to teach. And, and those, those people who desire to do so will really take that and exercise that and develop that area of giftedness where others just, you could give them their whole life and they may, just may not be able to do, that, to do that very well. So it comes with the exercising, but to answer your question, strictly speaking, uh, prophetia is any speaking forth with the idea that you're calling sinners to repentance. The context gives you that. So, ah, I didn't get to it. Here, um, let me put this up, and we got just the end here. Here are the various words that are used that I would say to you uh, are the, the ministries or the, or the activities of those using prophetia. These are just out of Timothy's letters. Preaching, heralding, see the different Greek words too? Preaching, heralding, testifying, warning, rebuking, correcting, disciplining. Those are all speaking forth through the evangelist Timothy. He's an evangelist. That's his ministry and his using of the gift, which Paul said, hey, stir up that gift that's in you. All right? He actually exercises that gift through those various ways, which all fall under the idea of prophetia. But his, but his ministry is to take the good news and preach it or teach it to those people in that area. So we'll start kind of here next week, if that's okay with everybody. Like at the beginning of next week's class, like raise your hand if you're not ready to go forward and look at some of these, or call me, better yet, call me or talk to me. But we'll start actually defining these things a little more, okay?